He is risen. It's great to see you all. Thanks for being here at Christ Community Church on Easter Sunday. My name is Ryan. I'm the pastor here. Um, so if you come next week, you may, oh, you will see me next week. So come next week. I'll be here. So uh, I'm still transitioning. So I'm here a couple weeks, not here a couple weeks and back. So uh, they didn't fire me if you see me not here. I don't think. I probably am just still, uh, we live in Columbus, Ohio. So we're moving once the kids get out of school. Well, we're going to be looking at, uh, I know it surprises you, we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus this morning and uh, just trying to understand more of that and grasp more of this victory that Jesus proclaims as he raises from the dead. What exactly does that mean, victory over what? Uh, We're going to be looking at several passages, but Romans 6 is kind of where we'll camp out for the most part. Romans 6, verses 5 through 7. If you have one of those Bibles in front of you, in the seats in front of you, sorry, front row, uh, you can borrow mine if you need, I suppose. But uh, those in those Bibles, it's page 942. So page 942 in the Bibles in front of you. Stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. Romans 6, verses 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, I've been trying to provide you with a sermon summary. Uh, because I know some of your attention spans, uh, like mine, is kind of short. So if I give you the sermon summary up front, maybe you can just hang on to that. And so today I have a sermon summary for you, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the declaration of victory over Satan, sin, and death, and the invitation to life in him. If that's too much for you, we have a shorter one. The shorter one is resurrection just think victory and, in, in, and invitation, okay? If resurrection comes to your mind, two words that come, victory and invitation. Hopefully you can remember, remember those two. Victory over what is the question, though? Well, what exactly is it victory over? And if you see in that sermon summary, it is Satan, sin, and death. So I want to look at each of those and kind of describe why that's such good news for us this morning. First of all, victory over Satan. If you remember back, if you're familiar with the Bible, if you're not, that's great. Let me tell you a story about Genesis chapter 3. What happens in Genesis chapter 3 is Adam and Eve eat this fruit and sin enters the world. And when that happens, God then gives some some punishment or or describes what life is going to be like now that sin has entered the world. And what he says to the serpent in giving of this punishment is he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, notice, it's quite interesting, isn't it, that we went from kind of a a plural and general word like offspring to describe a bunch of people, and then in the next verse, we went singular and specific with he. This is Genesis. This is the very beginning of the Bible. Who in the world is this he that they're speaking of? Well, we have the great privilege, don't we, of knowing the rest of the story and having the rest of Scripture so we can understand, I think I know who that he might be. Think of, of Good Friday when you think of 
this statement, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Good Friday is that bruising of the heel of that offspring, Jesus. And it, it, the serpent thinks, if I can just get my teeth and my venom, just, just nip him on the heel, the venom will go through the entire body and, and it will be dead, Jesus will be dead, and it will be over. But it turns out that that's just actually a little like scratch on his heel. And it turns out that as he digs his, head, his fangs into the heel of this one offspring, he, that heel lifts up and then stomps down on the head of that serpent and crushes it. This is a picture of Good Friday. The death blow is actually turned, and it's on the serpent who thought he was the victor. But now his head is crushed under the heel of Jesus our Lord. So Satan is powerless. What power does he possess now? He has power to tempt and destruct, and even his most effective tool, maybe, which is death, is now kind of brought to nothing because they all lead to one thing, and that is resurrection. So he's ultimately powerless at the end of the day. You can do some damage, maybe. You know, it's like, it's like God took a sword out of his hand and in the place put a butter knife, you know? Unless you're like Jason Bourne who kills people with ballpoint pens, you're not doing much damage with the butter knife. You know, you can do a little damage. But you're not doing ultimate damage, are you? No. So that's, he, he, that's what he's working with. He's going to inflict some, some issues in our lives. But it's not ultimate problem. The butter knife isn't something, obviously, you take into battle with you. You need a sword for that. So Easter tells us that Satan has been defeated. He is ultimately powerless. And the power of God is shown to be what it is, which is just an absolute unstoppable force. The resurrection is victory over Satan. Secondly, it's victory over sin. In case you thought the problem was all out there, sorry, it's not. Some of the problem is also in here. And there's sin in here. And the resurrection is indeed victory over sin. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. That's a really big statement. To say that if Christ hasn't raised, we're still in our sins. In other words, if you produce the body of Christ, we get to sleep in on Sunday mornings. This is a complete waste of time if Jesus is not raised from the dead, is what Paul, the author of that book, is saying. Now, that's, a, that's an enormous statement. It doesn't matter how, how, how great a man Jesus was. It doesn't matter that he healed people. It doesn't matter that he was a prophet. It doesn't matter any of that if he did not raise from the dead. None of it matters. Our faith is futile, and we're still in our sins. That's why I think in Matthew... They include, the writer of that book, Matthew, includes this story to make sure that it's, it's documented for uh, forever. Matthew 28, 11 through 15, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Listen, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him while they were away. Uh, while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him 
and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews until this day. So he includes that because he realizes, Matthew, if Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, it's all a waste. We're still in our sins, and our faith is futile. Why is this crucifixion of Jesus such a big deal? I mean, he died for our sins, right? So isn't that good enough that he died for our sins? Why does he have to raise from the dead? Well, the question is, how do you know that Jesus took all of God's wrath? How do you know it's not just like God saying, I poured out my wrath for sin on Jesus, and then I've still got some left over for you all, so get ready. How do we know that's not the case? Only by the resurrection. Jesus comes back to life and it's over. The wrath of God has been appeased for us. And so we know it's over. And so we don't cower every day wondering, does God have more wrath for me today because of my sin? The resurrection. Praise God, the resurrection. We know that the wrath of God has been fully appeased because of the resurrection. How do we know the blood of Christ is sufficient for all of our sins, even the sins that we're hiding and not telling anyone about and hoping they never get out? How do we know that the words in this little book that I love called the Gospel Primer are true? It says, consequently, God now only has love for us without any admixture of wrath whatsoever. How do I know that's true? How do we know... There's no line. How do I know that, that if I do this sin 10 times or 11 times, he's not going to say, all right, that's it, Stanley, you're done. Forget it. I, I warned you enough. Here comes the wrath. How do I know that the ocean of God's grace is always deeper than my sin and your sin? How do we know that, that he'll accept us in the future? How do we know that we're God's people for sure? How can we know that when he returns, he'll be pleased, or that when he returns, it's going to be a good thing? How do we know that Romans 8.1 is actually true, which says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One reason for all of those things, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how we know. That historical event is how we know all those things are true, and our hearts and souls are put at ease in the face of the resurrection. Sin now lies dormant. It can do some damage in our lives, but it has no ability to ultimately separate us from God forever. Victory over Satan, victory over sin, lastly, victory over death. Sin's greatest companion is death. In other words, I, I really think Satan's goal was not like to make us bad people, but rather to bring sin in and death in so that we died in our sins and then we would be forever separated from God. Not just for a little bit, but die in your sins and then you're completely separated, game's over. That's the goal, I think. Life with God is, is really ruined in death. And in Genesis chapter 2, God told us this when he is talking to Adam. And he says that he, he, tells, he talks to Adam in Genesis 2.15 in the Garden of Eden. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. 
you'll surely be separated from God. That's what happens. They eat and they're separated from God, kicked out of the garden. Death is really the exclamation on the sentence at the end of the sentence, you are condemned. Boom. Dead in your sins. No hope. Sin is a death sentence to all of us that we're born into, and it will kill you. No doubt. You'll die in the midst of your sins. But in the resurrection, the sting of death is taken away. It's gone. So 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal, mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, O death, uh, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Like taunting death. The sting of death is sin. So if sin is removed then where is the sting? It has no sting if sin is removed. And the power of sin is the law. Well, what if the law is fulfilled for us? What if Jesus lives perfectly the life of God and fulfills the law for us? There would be no power. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also in Isaiah 25, He, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in our salvation. He will swallow up death forever. Conquering death on our behalf. Now, finally, we get to this Romans 6 passage. That was just a little introduction. Now let's get to the real sermon, huh? Hope you weren't hungry for lunch or anything. Romans 6, verses 5 through 7. Again, page 942 in in the Bibles in front of you. For for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has set us free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That's a lot. That's some deep, heavy stuff, right? Just listen, you and I can't take on death. We, we're powerless against it every time. We're getting better at avoiding it, right, for longer periods of time. I think you just need to eat kale or something once a day or something. I don't know. You won't die. But we're getting better at that, but we still can't face it, can we? We still can't overcome it. It still comes and conquers us every time, and it stings. It stings when someone, someone we love dies. It stings when we think about our death. It has a sting to it. But there is one. One on whom death has no sting. The one discussed in Romans chapter 6. The one discussed in Genesis chapter 3. 
To him, death was not a death blow. Instead of death putting him in the grave, he rose and put death in the grave. Death couldn't hold him down. It didn't have power over him. His death was the death of death. That's why Paul says in verse 9 of that Romans 6 passage, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death can't hold him down. What an amazing statement. The last word doesn't have the last word anymore. Death does not have the last word. If you've ever felt the anguish of someone really close to you dying or, or even the, the possibility of that, that's horrific. Imagine, though, being able to have this with you in those moments, that death, although it does something to us here, it has no power ultimately. We will be resurrected with Christ Now, verse 5 says, it talks about this, for if we have been united with him in a death by kiss. What what do you mean, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans 6, united with him? What What exactly does that mean? It means that as you look at Good Friday and the death of Christ, we say, that's my death. Because I earned that death because of my sin. And so that death is my death. Uh, that blood, that blood is, is my blood. The wrath of God against Jesus right now is the wrath of God that should be pointed towards me. It must be for our salvation. The sin must be punished with God's wrath. And so in Good Friday, Jesus hanging on the tree, our hope is that we are in Him, that we are united with Him there, that He's dying a death not for Himself but for His people. And if we're united with him there, then the good news is this invitation to life. For if we have been united, continuing in Romans 6, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. His death, our death, and now his resurrection. Praise God, our resurrection. The sting of death has been taken away. The invitation to life has been extended. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death has no dominion over him. He's no longer to be enslaved but to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. No longer united to sin as we were. Born united to sin. Resurrected united to Christ because of his work on our behalf. Now we get life with God instead of death in our sins. We get life with God. Not begrudgingly accepted. You know, this statement is very offensive to me, but not like a redheaded stepchild, acceptance, like an actual full acceptance like Jesus is accepted. The same the same. Uh, feeling that God has in his heart, God the Father, when he looks at his son Jesus, is the same feeling he has in his heart when he looks upon us. United with the life of Christ. Acceptance, inclusion, love. 
Think about what it meant for you to be a son or daughter. Some of you maybe not have a good experience. Think about the most glorious experience you can imagine. This is what it means, even better than that, to be united and to be accepted and to be with God, life with God in Christ. Satan, who we couldn't defeat, has been defeated. Sin, which we could not overcome, has been overcome. Death, which we could not escape, has been defeated. All defeated. And now we get life with God in Christ. Now quickly, I want to maybe discuss with you just, just quickly about the effect of that on our you know, everyday existence. The, I want you to see our life, your life, through the life of Christ. In other words, when you're met with opportunities for self-sacrifice, my response is usually, Ugh, no thanks. Like, the, for me it is, you know, I come down the stairs after putting the kids to bed, Again, that's only an hour and a half process. It's, it's completely fine. We've got it on lockdown over at the Stanley household. But when we come down the stairs after wrestling those people for that long, you know, it's like the kitchen with dirty dishes is this way. Netflix is this way. Now, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and so I always do the dishes. But that was just an example for you to think about. Self-sacrifice, that's a, that's a silly example maybe of self-sacrifice, but you get the idea. When self-sacrifice comes, what if we approached it as, I think this might be an, an invitation from God to actually participate in the life of Christ. Because the life of Christ was marked with self-sacrifice. There's no bigger self-sacrifice than dying for your enemies to make them friends. So maybe this opportunity of self-sacrifice that I'm met with right now is an opportunity actually to life, not to death, but to life. In Christ. When you see your sin, it will remind you that death still resides in your body. That sin still has and plays a role in our lives. And so in those moments, we say, I know one day because of the resurrection, this will stop plaguing me. Lord Jesus, come soon. Please, and save me from this body of death. Let me have your resurrection. And give me help right now to have faith that my life is actually in Christ. Because right now, it looks like my life is in my own death and filth and muck and sin. Would you, would you give me faith to believe what I can't see, which is my life is actually in Jesus Christ? Help me in this moment. When we're suffering, we're being drawn an invitation to to an intimacy with Christ that perhaps we haven't known. And I'm not saying, hey, let's all celebrate when we're in suffering. It's terrible and we want to come beside you and, and, and suffer with you. But the life of Christ was marked by suffering. Is it an invitation to know his life like you've never known it before? And proclaim the good news that it is temporary suffering. Praise God. And it will one day end when he returns and raises us all to new life. Well, I pray that uh, in thinking about and looking at the resurrection today, that our hearts are filled with faith and love.
for Jesus who would do something like this for people like us. I pray the resurrection has taken up residence in, in your soul, that you've experienced a resurrection yourself and been granted faith. Perhaps today you maybe have the desire for that sort of resurrection. You hear about this resurrected life and you're like, I'd like some of that. I don't know what that is. Man, I'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to talk to you about the resurrected life and pray with you. Praise God for defeating death, defeating Satan, defeating sin, and offering to us new life in him, his very life. Let's pray. Father, I pray for these wonderful people here that this idea of your resurrection might stick with them, might stick with all of us in the coming weeks, that we might not be able to get it out of our heads, that we might continue to think upon the glorious resurrection of Christ, and that it wouldn't just be something in some book written a long time ago, disconnected from our lives, but that we would see our lives in you and see the effect the resurrection has had for us. Fill our hearts with faith in you and love for you and love for one another, we pray. In Christ's glorious name, amen.